Hello, mental pleasure lovers, and welcome to part two of Questions and Answers with Anne Guzman. It's officially March, the third month of the year, the 66th day of the year, to be even more specific. So I want to do a little check-in with you, especially after the last episode. How are you feeling? And can you answer honestly with yourself? You don't have to share it with anyone, but just answer in your head. Or even better, say it out loud. I'm good. I'm not good. I'm okay. Things can be better. I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Um, A feeling that we can confuse with nervousness or excitement is anxious. And I had to really step back and really put a name to my emotions to correctly word them, to correctly title them. So that way I don't get the feelings confused. And like Brene Brown says, she's an awesome, awesome researcher on vulnerability. I know I've brought her up before, but our language or our, what we know, the words that we know to really describe our feelings, they're, it's, it's little, it's limited. And so that doesn't really help when we are trying to name how we feel, trying to, have to, trying to describe how we feel. It's easy to use the words sad, mad, you know, angry, anxious, depressed. You know, you have to dig a little bit more into those feelings to really be able to put a name to those emotions. Um, and it, it really helps answering even some of the questions that you may have for yourself um, and finding those answers. But how have your days been? How have your weeks been? Yesterday, how was your day? On a scale of one to 10, something my therapist suggested, uh, which was amazing, uh, was to rate my days or even the moods that I'm in. Is the mood that I'm in right now and, and check in with yourself a couple times a day, maybe three, two times a day when you can remember. Not only do you rate your, your mood or your day, how it's going, Uh, from one to 10, say 10 being the best. You also need to take a scan around the room of who you're around, what you're around, the environment. Um, Are you at home? Are you out? Are there a, a lot of people around you? Is there one specific person that makes you feel like you're in a two right now? Or are you even by yourself? Um, that, I mean, it's big even starting there. So start rating your uh, moods that you're in daily. And it kind of just helps you reflect, start to reflect more on your days and on the moods that you're in. And so lastly, I want to thank you for the amazing feedback from part one's episode with Anne. It seriously, seriously warms my heart to know we are helping multiple people out there because this is for all of us. I started this because I wanted this to be for all of us, not just me, not just you. You know, we're not alone in this, but for some reason, our emotions and our mind can really make us think that way. And so understand you are not alone. I am not alone. And there are answers to your question and all your questions. You just have to keep on. This episode gets more into the meat of discussing depression, anxiety, obsessive thinking, even body dysmorphia, and the process of seeking outside help. 
And so before I leave you to this amazing part two of my interview with Anne, I want to leave you with this by Tiffany Moll. It's called Self-Growth. Self-development is a continuous journey of trial and error. The process will test your strengths, reveal your weaknesses, and empower you to put yourself finally first. Keep going, no matter what. Dive deep into answering the questions that you refuse to, no matter how much the answer hurts. Be answer, be honest, be open, and be less critical of yourself. You deserve respect and understanding in the process of self-discovery. Today, I hope this reminder serves you well to help you know that we are all in this together on a journey of self-discovery and growth. Thank you and happy listening. The words depression and anxiety, this, is, this was very important. Um, mm-hmm. They seem to be thrown around very heavily these days. And so when do you believe someone should consider that they may actually suffer from depression or anxiety? Yeah, I like that question. When it's getting in the way of your functioning or it's kind of getting in the way of something that you want out of life, like your quality of life, mm-hmm. I think then that's when it becomes problematic. Versus you have a little rough day, right? Or like something happened and it created anxiety, which, you know, everyone is capable of feeling anxiety. You know, that's different. But when there are windows of time where this, again, I use the word symptom because whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's depression, anxiety, ADHD, whatever. When that symptom is getting in the way of you living the quality, the way you want your life, you know, and having the quality of life that you want, I would say then that would become the problem. Yeah. Um, and probably a time to seek help. And it doesn't need to be in some, again, sometimes you need more intensive treatment than others. And maybe it's not even something like an evidence-based therapy. Maybe it's just somewhere like traditional talk therapy or something. Yeah. But at least just have a place where you can start assessing and finding kind of solutions for what's going on. Right. Or answering any questions that, that's why I realized I was asking like the same questions in my head. Yeah. Or it was just like, just figuring out what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the question, main question. And maybe it was in a more negative light. The way I was asking myself, it was more of like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And, and, And I took that to a certain degree, like, okay, what's wrong with me right now? And then on the deeper end, it was like, no, seriously, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And that's what really got me into, all right, I need to start answering these questions versus continuing to ask them and thinking something's wrong or or seeing that something is wrong and not answering the question at all. Yeah. And that's what got me into the therapy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, time to answer them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and fi- or figure out the answer. Yeah. Because obviously I'm not doing that. And And to your point too, it doesn't even have to be something problematic. Like if there's just questions you need answered in life or need to get, you know, like I have clients that they don't have the clinical diagnosis of something like depression or anxiety, but they just, they want some type of enhancement out of their life and, you know, someone to kind of aid them in those and processing. I mean, therapists essentially, they're just really good at asking questions. Yeah. Right. And that we know what questions to ask to elicit some of these, you know, some of this process that, people need, you know, answers to. Yeah. And um, that brings me to my next question that someone had brought up. 
was, uh, and it wasn't even really a question. It, they described to me their experience in therapy. And one question they had, they explained that they actually hated the most was, how do you feel? Yeah. And, um, and at the time he had said his father had just died and he was like, lady, how do you think I feel? Yeah, like sad. You know, yeah. and, and it was Devastated. like, okay, and how did that make you feel? And, you know, it was like, so how do you ask the not so basic questions yeah, to, yeah. Get a, to get the answer? Yeah, well, some of, I, I also don't like that question. I mean, I, I do ask that question sometimes, but in an obvious situation like that, the way I might ask it would be something like, what what might be happening for you right now? You know, or tell me a little bit about your experience mm-hmm. with the the grief or sadness or devastation. Um, it is kind of like your stereotypical therapist question. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's an important question. Maybe not something as obvious as that. Or maybe so. Maybe, and not saying explicitly with this person here, but I've asked that question to like a 12-year-old I know the answer, but he had such an inability to express, yeah, I am sad. Like you just couldn't go there with him. That that was an important part of the process. But let's just assume that wasn't. There's certain questions you can ask to just draw the process a little bit deeper than just, I feel sad. You know, so getting them to describe what's happening for them, what might be problematic for them, what they, what they're wanting, you know, like, or what they're desiring out of this type of situation. Yeah. There's different, you know, what might you be thinking about? Like there's certain types of questions that might draw a little bit more feedback than this makes me sad. Right. You know? And and that one of the things like saying something like that that makes me sad is um something I realized with the help of uh Brene Brown, who um she's she is a researcher on um vulnerability. Yeah. And so what she helped, and she did a special on HBO, which was um, being able to communicate and understand um, all these emotions that we have other than sad, anger, yeah, mad, you know? And the problem is, is that we don't know them. Like we may feel them, but we don't know how to communicate them and, and put a word to it because we yeah. don't know. And that's, that's like number one, we don't, to, we don't know how to translate it. Yeah. And communicate that. And so that's where like the block comes of just saying sad. Okay, I'm sad. and Or generalizing everything as like, I'm sad or I'm angry and not yeah. really diving deeper into yeah, what exactly. the feeling could be in motion and what's around you, who's around you and why does it make you feel that way? And how's it affecting you? Yeah. yeah. And where are you feeling it in your body? And that also sounds like a very like typical, stereotypical therapist no, answer, may, but. No, I, I mean, I didn't, I never thought about that. Yeah. Like where in your body do you feel? Because we all hold it, especially women. We hold it like come yeah. in our womb. Yes. That's and a, it's that's affecting us. Like yeah. that, the physical emotions, like we have biological, physiological responses to our emotions. In DBT, we call it feelings. Like emotions are the emotions, but the feelings are like the sensations in your body. As a uh, result of the emotion. Okay. Right? And, and that's an important place to start because that's the uncomfortable feeling. Right? So like your heart rate is racing or you feel it like in your gut. This is where we're, what, this is what we need to pay attention to now. Yeah. And there's certain things you can do to relieve certain, you know, some of those sensations or tolerate. Right. Because um, sometimes the goal is like, you know, you lost a loved one. The sadness isn't necessarily going to go away. Yeah. but tolerating 
the sadness and the grief is probably an important step. So actually putting like a magnifying glass on that sensation, that probably wouldn't be the first appointment. But like, this is kind of the process of our therapy is being able to put a magnifying glass on this feeling and just observing without having to react. Right. Which is the hard part. It is. Because we want to react to what we're observing. Yeah. But that's kind of one of the practices too that's really important in trauma treatment and mindfulness practices and things like that. Oh, man, that's a, <laughs> like, and and I always think about, like, how do I remember all of this stuff? It's just, I mean, the practice, like you said. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the little boy that, um, the 12-year-old, that just even getting him to say, like, I am sad, that was something very hard for him. And I um, heard about that is half the battle for a lot of people is just verbalizing it because yeah. we keep it in our head. and. Um, I have a big problem with that. It's like keeping it in our head and it tra- it transforms to something so much more and we imagine it or create this or we drop, maybe, maybe I don't know if the correct word is to say dramatize um, the scenario. I know for me it is mm-hmm. um, versus being able to say it mm. and then realize that helps us realize it's not as bad or yeah. you put, uh, or you answer the question just by verbalizing it. Yes. Or you you realize that you're not the victim by verbalizing it. And I think the perfect example was um, that I heard was this boy um, who, you know, he grew up as an adult and he was raped by his coach mm-hmm. when he was in high school. And it was always in his head. Like he was never able to verbalize that. And... Um, and so in his head, he was the victim mm. until he verbalized it. And he said, um, you know, my coach raped. And he had to say like in third person, a 16-year-old or whatever it was. Mm. And it was until then that he realized he was not in the wrong anymore. Like he it had to say it out loud. Yeah, he had yeah. to say it out loud. And he realized yeah. it was his coach that was in the wrong, not yeah. him. And it gives me chills. Yeah. But it was it was crazy to me in, in hearing that. And it was like, how much power the tongue has in verbalizing it and saying it. Because yeah. there are so many of us who don't say it. There's something about it being lost in translation from your brain to your mouth. You know, like it, you're, it's, it's in here. You're having certain thoughts. But when, when it goes through the process of being translated verbally, yeah. something else is happening. Okay. You know, and that's, I'm, that's a really good example of like, I mean, that's a really mind-boggling example of how just saying it out loud puts it in the perspective of like, wow. Yeah. Like this happened, you know? And even just being able to express appropriately and identify what it is. You said it like when you can identify what it is, you know, okay, it's that, but it's not this. Yes. You know, like I'm scared and, but I'm not traumatized. Yeah. You know, so like, it's just helping you kind of accurately express. That's just, that's like the first step. Yeah. And then, but it can allow that process to happen. So identifying your emotions is important. Yeah. Um, and again, some people have de- deficits in being able to express and not. Um, and then again, sometimes they need more than just saying, how do you feel? Yeah. Oh, oh, you know? I definitely agree. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure. And he he was just, he's stuck on that question. So I was like, I can, mm. I can only imagine how many times she asked that then. If you were just so bent on this is what you brought up and I asked you 
Yeah. You know, what would you ask? And she's like, and he was like, no, how about therapists shouldn't ask this? And he just went into a whole spiel. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, thank you. And so um, this was a question I added. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone in my life that is very sick and may not see a future for themselves. What do I say to this person other than like things will get better or being positive? Yeah, I think it goes back to like the validation thing is like just trying to meet them where they are. Yeah. And just if they're able to, do do you have a sense of like if that person would be able to talk about what might be happening? No, I I mean, I guess I could go ahead and say the person is is my dad. Mm -hmm. So he, his physical health Mm -hmm. is bad. His health has deteriorated and it's, Mm -hmm. it's to a point where we don't know how long we have with him. Mm. And so, and I don't want to say, I don't like to think about like how I feel about it because it's more of, I think about how he must feel 10 times worse than I feel. Yeah. And so I don't want to try, I I don't like putting my shoes in someone else's shoes because Mm -hmm. I I don't like that Mm -hmm. from at least what I, what I learned because I don't think we'll ever under, or I'll never understand at least Mm -hmm. for now Mm -hmm. how he feels Mm -hmm. in his situation um, but just getting a better understanding of meeting him at that point where he may feel, because I, I do feel like he is depressed mm-hmm. in the state that he's in. Um, you know, I don't know. It's just, I want to talk to him about that, mm-hmm. but it's hard to like find the words, even yeah. to somebody who doesn't even talk about his emotions. Yeah. So what you're trying, what you're wanting to do is try to figure out how to get him to a place where he does therapy or get Both. treated for his physical health. Uh, no, no, no. For therapy and just being yeah. able to communicate with him. Yeah. I would, again, with, for someone that isn't as expressive and he's going to be more reserved with his emotions, no going in that this is already going to be a very hard conversation to go there. So kind of tread and again, meet him where he is, like use the language that maybe he might use, but I would even start with saying like, dad, what, what's getting in the way? Like, what are you afraid of? And maybe you don't even use the word afraid. Maybe that's too vulnerable for him. Yeah. Right. But Trying to use a word that he might be able to tolerate. Like, what what are you thinking about? Is he more a logical person? So use logic verbiage, you know? Gotcha. So saying like, what what do you think might happen if, like, I call the therapist for you and we try to set something up? Yeah. Instead of getting him to pinpoint an emotion or how he might feel about it. Right. Yeah. So try to use the logic verbiage. Um, and this is hard because there's a level of acceptance too. That's really, and it's not to say give up because acceptance isn't in in DBT. We talk about like acceptance isn't against change. It doesn't mean be passive. It doesn't mean you like the situation, but when things aren't moving and changing the way you want it to, there's a level of of acceptance. You have to have that that person might not want to, he might not be ready. He might not think anything's going to change. It might take too much effort. Like what, what kind of stuff am I going to have to sacrifice to get what type of benefit? Yeah. You know? Um, Where it wouldn't even benefit if it was forced upon. Yeah. Gotcha. You know? That doesn't mean don't try though. Yeah. Right? Of so course. if you're able to have that conversation of like that, like talk about it in terms of what you're observing. Instead of saying you're doing this, 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 like, look, this is what I'm noticing mm-hmm. about what's happening here. And if you're able, if it's appropriate, if he can handle him, you going there and saying like, this is what's happening for me when I see you go through this. And I would love it if you considered X, Y, and Z. I will hold your hand through this process. Like, 
try to go there with him. Yeah. And have the open conversation. You know, if you're treading the way he might tread, like where it's just where you look afraid to have the conversation, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, and that's true for anybody, not, not just your dad, but like show him that I'm going to, I'm going there and I'm not afraid of it right. right now. No, that's a big thing. Yeah. Because I even just having more in-depth conversations with him, it's like, there's like a tense moment before. And it's like, yeah. for you or for him? Set, for both of us. And yeah, it already yeah. sets the stage yeah. of that fearfulness. It, it is there. Well, and again, and that's why it sounds like it's contradicting, but it's kind of like both are true at the same time. Meet him where he is. Go there, but be sensitive to what he can tolerate. Yeah. You know, because again, if you're going, if you're doing too much of the emotion stuff and you know he can't and won't go there and it's uncomfortable, he's going in shutdown mode. That's yeah. his way of surviving. Like, that's too much. Right. Why in the world would I go to therapy? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's too much. Yeah. And validate, you know, like, maybe he doesn't tell you, right? But if you had to take a guess, do you think you would know why he doesn't want to go to therapy? Yeah. Okay. So if he doesn't go there with you, it can be, and it's okay if you miss the mark, right? But validating him might even look like saying like, look, dad, I know that the idea of you going to therapy scares you because like whatever, X, Y, and Z, whatever your hypothesis is. Yeah. Even if you don't pinpoint it, but something about going through that process of you, him seeing you come from an understanding lens and you trying to get it, gives that per again when we talked about validation earlier it get it lets him go through the process of feeling validated by yeah him, even if you don't hit it perfectly yeah and i think um because there was a little there was a task that i had to do that my therapist actually made me do and i wanted to do it because it's something that has been on my mind and it's like she read my mind really yeah and she's like do this you know it was write a letter to him about everything how you feel and spoken yeah. words that you've had you know, because if something does happen to him, you will regret it. Yeah. And you know that already. So why not there. do it? Yeah. And so I did that in this mm -hmm. last visit. And it was very, I couldn't, I cried even before I started. Really? Yeah, it was, it was like waterworks. But mm -hmm. I feel like I planted that seed because I even mentioned in the letter, mm -hmm. you know, I know that this is something that we both have in common as far as not communicating our emotions Good. and our feelings. Yeah. And so… I, I feel like that even planted the seed and me now when next time saying, hey, dad, like instead of saying you need to go to therapy or mm -hmm. you need therapy, yeah. it's more like, hey, dad, like maybe this is something that has worked for me and seeing that we both kind of suffer from the same um, mental model. Yeah. You know, would you be open to something like this or yeah. like, you know, how can we get you here? I think that's great because you're coming at it from a lens of like, I get it too. Yeah. You know, and even though you guys don't have necessarily the same journey, but you're, you know, the mental model you speak about, you guys do come from that lens of like, I'm not talking about it. Yeah. I'm good right here. Yeah. No. And when really I want to say that, like, I got this shit from you. So yeah. I know, don't think I don't know because <laughs> yeah. I, hello, I'm living it. Like, this is why, I'm, right, right. you know, I want to say all that, but I, I don't, I, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to say like that because yeah. then again, that makes him feel like, Shit, this is why I'm going to therapy. Yeah. You know? And I don't, did you give him the letter? No, I didn't. Okay. Because he couldn't, he couldn't read, he wouldn't even be able to read it. He had like, and oh. he's, he's, he's in a rehab. So he can't even oh, so like, he's have like, any, mm -hmm. anything in his bed. Like, you know, he has mm -hmm. to have a nurse 24 seven. So it's like, he can't do anything on his own. 
You know, I'll say this too, just having some, like, maybe this, it sounds like you're understanding too, but when he's going through such a physical, like maybe traumatic even thing with his body, that might be too exhausting. And to think about his mental health, yeah, like that's just, oh, I know, step Z. It is, you know, and it's kind of like if you think about your hierarchy of needs in a way, and like a basic level, if you're having trouble breathing, you're not thinking about, I need to make sure I reach my goals. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. so, and in his, and I don't know exactly what he's going through physically, but I imagine that that takes such a physical toll that getting that solved is already a mountain to climb. Yeah. Or it's you not know? even, it's it's like back burner or barely hanging on the burner. Yeah. 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 Type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, so it's, the fact that he's battling two things is tough, but he's not, it sounds like he's not ignoring his medical, physical health. Oh, he has no choice. I mean, yeah, okay. he has, yeah, yeah, he's like incapacitated in uh, rehab. So, mm-hmm. but now it's like, okay, so we kind of have this time where you could sit and just like watch TV all day. Like he has no choice. He has a 24-7 nurse. I mean, he mm-hmm. has to be in a rehab. But, um, knowing that this is not even what people do daily or even someone who's like able to walk because he's a double amputee by now. Mm. Now he's a double amputee. It's, it has to take a toll. It would take a toll like on anyone else. So like, why don't we do something like add in something? Same thing like physical therapy where you can strengthen. He can strengthen mm-hmm. his arms. Mm-hmm. Let's like work out your, your brain. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, you know, even, um, you know, that's why I made that special visit too. Like I go down there really to see my parents and to especially see him because, you know, I don't know how long I have with him. Yeah. So, um, but I do, even knowing that, I do want him to seek help. Mm-hmm. And maybe it, he can't seek it. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it is me who has to kind of plant the seed. And yeah. hopefully I did. Yeah. Um. And maybe there's like, you can even come with him with facts like about, like there's types of therapists that um, specialize in like chronic pain. Yeah. Right. So, and I don't know if he goes, if it's chronic pain necessarily that he's suffering from, but like all the medical stuff obviously is impacting his mental health. But so maybe that would help him move towards that of like, okay, well, that therapist specializes in like physical stuff. Right. You know, like versus... Talk about my feelings. Yeah. You know? Gotcha. Um, and I can give you some people that might be good. Yeah. If you need that. But um, yeah, but start with that conversation. But and but be very, and it sounds like you're being patient, but just make sure that you're giving him the impression that you're going to be patient. Yeah. About that because. Instead of like an intervention. Yeah. Because that's a, just got to. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's got to be so exhausting for him that he's dealing with all these physical health issues. Yeah. Like that's probably just taking every ounce of energy he's got just to deal with that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. But I want to make sure his mental, if anything, is like worked on. And I know it's been on a back burner for all his life. Yeah, yeah. That's normal for him. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the main reason you believe people choose not to seek therapy? A lot of reasons. Um, cost is a big one. Um, coverage for insurance. I mean, even if you have insurance, you still could be paying 
$80. Yeah. You know, like if, if you more. don't. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's one thing. Accessibility, right? Like it just being affordable. And I don't know how to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, But, and that that's a whole thing in itself. Time. Being skeptical, like. You know, finding a therapist is like matchmaker. Some people have gone to therapists and it wasn't a good experience. They got nothing out of it. So now they've learned, okay, therapy doesn't work. Yeah. You know, so just their experience, their past experiences kind of get in the way. Um, Travel. Well, now that it's virtual, it's a lot easier, but. But I even had that initial, even with the virtual yeah, I was like, no, I think I want to be in person. Like, I think it'll be better. Yeah, yeah. Because I was always that. I was always that person who loved going to like physical school when I was in college. Yeah, the physical class versus online. Like, I was that kid. Like, I wanted to be because it'd just be. I, I was better with learning and mm-hmm. grasping onto the concept versus online. So I immediately didn't even want to do. Yeah, the MD live, but it it just so happened that my insurance only covered virtual. Really? Yes. Oh, usually it's the opposite that they won't cover virtual. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I got the opposite. So, but it, it wasn't as bad as I thought, which yeah. is how I think life ends up anyway. It is, yeah. And surprisingly, like, actually, I only have like three people that come in person. I go in person, but I only have like three people that come in person. Everyone likes virtual. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it's more convenient. It is It is very yeah, convenient. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But it was just, I think we have that. Uh, mental picture in our head of what therapy is. Yeah, like, of course. The typical, so how does this make you feel? Yeah. And like laying back on a little- <laughs> A couch. Yeah, yeah, a couch. Tell me all your problems. And, yeah, yeah, and just- Yeah. So it's just even the understanding of like what therapy can do. Also knowing like which therapist to go to. Like yeah. there's so many types of therapies out there that treat different issues. Yeah. I mean, if I, I wasn't a therapist, I wouldn't know what certain things would treat. You well, know? and I don't think people realize that because I didn't, how broad yeah. the spectrum is of uh, so the department, the categories. Yeah. Like I, I really thought there was, okay, so you're a therapist and mm-hmm. so you treat, um, you're able to help me with suicide, depression, anxiety, maybe yeah. ADHD, um, uh, body dysmorphia. Like yeah. I can bring up all these things and you're able to help me somehow. Yeah, yeah, I really yeah. did think that. Yeah. Until you explained to me, like, I, I actually just treat and specialize in suicide. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it and, makes sense because then you're you're specialized in just that. Yeah. And if you can help it, like, if you can help getting someone that, like, that is their thing, like, whatever it is that you might be, like, struggling with, like, whether it's addiction, eating disorders, like, get someone that that's just their lane. Yeah. You know? Because sometimes when you see these profiles of, like, I treat this, 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 this. They're not, like, again, DB, like I said earlier, DBT doesn't treat certain diagnoses, yeah. right? And so when someone calls me and says, hey, um, like, DBT isn't the most effective treatment for eating disorders, for instance. It, it can, but you also need, like, a s- another type of, like, training. Yeah. You know? Um, and actually, there's actually a different type of DBT that would treat eating disorders better than, it's called radically open DBT. It's a different type of DBT, but that's more for like over control diagnoses like OCD, uh, uh, autism, okay. yeah, things like that. But uh, but that's a good sign. I mean, that's good. Yeah, like because, get some. Yeah, yeah, get some someone that that is their lane. Okay, so that that will lead into the next question. Um, how do you choose a therapist? Yeah, so it depends on what you're trying to treat, right? So if it's trauma, yeah, um, there's again certain types of treatment that are more effective than 
like other therapy. So like something called like EMDR. That's that's a type of trauma treatment. Brain spotting. Uh-huh. Hypnotherapy is good for trauma treatment. So it's really important to understand what it is. And again, it's hard to know. Again, the average person doesn't know what in the world all these acronyms are. So you might have to do some research. Yeah. Um, it's hard to even, I feel like it's hard to even get to that point. It is. Because when I was actually making my appointment and I'm I'm in this episode, that's, I mean, that's when I made my appointment. I, w- I stopped my my thoughts because I was in one of those episodes for like an hour, two hours. And I, I stopped myself in my cycle. And I was like, this is exactly the time that you re- need to realize that you need therapy mm-hmm. instead of waiting until the next day where I felt better. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm good. That was just another episode yeah. of mine. Yeah. And so… Then I pull up MD Live and I'm and I have to choose a therapist and I'm like, how the, how yeah. the hell do I, I don't know which one? Yeah. yeah, like, do I choose a guy or a girl? Oh well, I yeah. initially think let me choose a woman because she'll already be able to relate more. Yeah. We'll be able to relate more. Period. Point blank. Yeah, and that's okay. Okay. I mean, sometimes you have to like take the external first. You know, like yeah, female, maybe race. You know, might be taken into consideration. I know, like. I'm Egyptian and I have a lot, like I see a lot of Egyptians in my community and they ask me like, do you know somebody that is somewhat in our culture? Because there's just things that that person's going to understand that Absolutely. someone else won't, you yeah. know? And that is the thing. I don't think it's something to be ashamed of. I think no, it's not just, at all. Um, I'm, I'm not only more relatable, but yeah, I guess they'll understand more. Or yeah, yeah. They will connect the dots more. There's certain things a white therapist will not understand that a black therapist would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, or at least to the degree. Yeah. You know, because like they're living it or have experienced it. Um, but yeah, so if you are just looking at like the external, yeah, it's okay to kind of have like, okay, I'd prefer a female and all the a younger one, an older one, you know, something like that. Yeah, because I do think that the relationship is probably more important than their expertise. The expertise is important, and you want to make sure you're getting someone that treats the right issue. Um, but that relationship and that trust and that just common like human to human interaction drives that therapeutic process more than anything. Well, and I would think it would drive even the expertise. To a certain degree that if you guys have no kind of relationship, it it just may be like stagnant. Like the answers you may get back are just very dry and very cut short. Yeah. And how how much more in depth as a therapist can you even get? Mm -hmm. Or like it determines your next question or your next answer. Exactly. And then I tell people too, like, don't give up. Like it is matchmaker. So you might find one therapist and you don't connect. That doesn't mean that therapy isn't going to work. It's just that just wasn't a personality match. So just shop around, essentially. So how so how do you just so so you find a therapist first session, second session? How how can you really determine it's going well versus uh, maybe I need to pick a pick someone yeah, else? I think it's just the gut feeling you have. Okay. You know, like I think I could. You're not going to really know after like session one or two, but it's that feeling of like I I think I could connect right, or I think we could get somewhere gotcha. with this. Trust me, you'll know when you sit in that seat, you're going to feel that therapist vibe of like, that person does not know what they're doing. Or like, you know, ease. or they don't get me. Yeah. yeah. The ease of it. You'll, it's just like. Any relationship? I was just. That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. It's just like if you invited some random person over, you're going to know, I, I don't think that person's my vibe or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's kind of just step one. And then, of course, 
like I said, the expertise is important. And maybe that's the filter you go through is, okay, I know I want to deal with trauma. So I'll research someone that does EMDR or brain spotting therapy. And then I'll look for, you know, female, da, da, da. And be open, you know, to like other things. Like, for instance, at our, at Recovery DBT, Ian Halstead, he's amazing. He's like, he's done DBT for like 30 plus years. And it's not uncommon that, you know, when a, when a female calls, they'll say, well, I want a female. And of course, if they need one, we'll give them a female. I'll probably be the one working with them. But I've had people where they just, they said it later. They're like, I was hoping, like I would have preferred a therapist, but it ended up being such a good match. Yeah. You don't, you don't know. And maybe it doesn't, yeah. you know, maybe your trauma is with a male. Yeah. And you just got it. Want to um, have a female. That's totally fine. Yeah. You know, so if you do have a preference, yeah, look for the preference. Gotcha. Yeah, that was that was a common question. I mean, so, and I've even heard the instance where uh, someone said to me, you know, I've I've had like five different therapists and I was like, I didn't know what to think about that. Like, mm. so five different, like, is it the patient then? Or is it the, you know? It could be a lot of things. By the time people get to DBT, they've seen a million therapists. And I think it's just in, from my experience, it's been that the issue wasn't treated. You know, like it's, it's not, not a lot of therapies really address suicide. Yeah. You know, the way DBT does. Um, And sometimes it's just, they just didn't vibe with, who knows, it might be the person, but they're just waiting for the right person to mesh with. Yeah. You know, can that be a sign that maybe you need something more intense like DBT? If um, certain therapies haven't worked. Yeah. It, it depends. If it is like a behavioral thing going on and an emotional dysregulation thing going on, yeah, probably DBT is a good place to, it, it is a good treatment to have. Actually, if you, if you Google, there's actually a New York Times article that talks about DBT mm-hmm. and how it's like the best tool we have for suicide and self-harm. It came out, I think, last year or something. But yeah, like there's probably a reason why the other therapies didn't work because it didn't address. I mean, that's not right. what it's like. That's the medicine, not what the like, evidence shows. Yeah, like the medicine. Okay. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. yeah. It's it's really crazy how it just. Yeah. Again, if someone came to me, I'm not well trained in eating disorder in doing treating eating disorders. I wouldn't be the right match. So there, it's no wonder it didn't work. Yeah. When they came in my office, they need somebody that specializes in this type of thing. So since since we are on that, I know you mm-hmm. got a special uh, answer from yes from another therapist. Yeah, she's a therapist. Um, regarding uh, body dysmorphia. Yeah. So I asked her. Her name's Rebecca Leslie. She's like my go-to therapist when I refer someone for eating disorder work. She's amazing. Um, and the and the question was um, how to conquer or how to battle how to conquer. I mean. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't figure out how to really because mm-hmm. conquer. I don't. I don't think body dysmorphia, and maybe it is, but it's something that you just completely solve. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, I think it could be like a lifelong thing that you do battle with. It is. I mean, eating disorder work. It's recovery, you know. And there's such things as relapses and things like that, similar yeah. to drug treatment. Um, but yeah, I think the question that you had asked was, yeah, how do you conquer, kind of overcome? body dysmorphia. So I asked her, and this is what she said. So I'm just going to read 
what she said. So here are some ideas. Body dysmorphia is something that should be treated with therapy. In therapy, things can be done such as exposures or exposures and response prevention. For example, looking in the mirror, but not lifting your shirt to look at your stomach. Clients may track how often they engage in unhelpful behaviors related to their body and work on reducing them. In therapy, clients can learn and identify and change unhelpful thoughts related to their bodies. It could also be helpful to look at your body as a whole instead of parts in the mirror, zooming out the lens, describing your body from head to toe subjectively in the mirror, and then looking at your body as a whole. So the way she describes it is like, just don't zoom in on the one part of your body that you're self-conscious about, like looking at it from a whole. Yeah. Um, And obviously there's, it's probably more than just those one or two things that like that by itself isn't going to treat it. You have to do it. Of course. With a therapist. um, Because it's going to bring stuff up. Yeah. You know, that you're going to have to process and kind of. And maybe realize what it was that kind of touched or uh, stimulated or even caused that trauma to begin with. Yeah. Where is it coming from? Yeah. So these kind of big picture things, again, where it's getting in the way of your functioning and your quality of life, that's usually an indicator that like it's time to see someone that like specializes in this type of thing. Yeah. That was something um, it's, I, f- I love that she said that because I brought up body dysmorphia to my um, therapist because that is something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out if that is something that I'm battling with. Um, and she had said something very similar. Like you can't just um, think about that one. Like think about what you're, what are you most self-conscious about on your body? Mm-hmm. And I'm able to like, like this. Yeah. Like, tell her exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, you need to, when you look in the mirror, is that what you look at first? Like you can't, you can't do that. You have to see it like as a bigger picture. Yeah. And I mean, she made me go to the mirror, even MD Live. She's like, all right, go to the mirror for a minute. And I want you to think about, just look at yourself. Like, what is something, instead of looking at the mirror and and zooming in immediately on what you hate and what bothers you, what are things that you like Mm -hmm. about your body and about yourself? And I'm like, oh, I never think of that. (laughs) There's the purple and the orange thing again. We have the tendency to just look at what's not working for us. Yeah. That's what our brain focuses on. Yeah. So that makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah. It's good that she also knew how to address that too. Because yeah. um, especially something with body dysmorphia, just eating disorders in general, it's there's just so much complexities and sensitivities to like, I mean, you know, now that I have a three-year-old, maybe I'm like too hypersensitive to like, like under like mental health and stuff. But like, I'm always trying to say like, even around food, I don't want to develop an eating disorder, right? Yes, so like yes. you're, there's a lot of things you shouldn't or don't say. Yeah. You know, to somebody that might be struggling with like their body and oh, food. Oh, you know? I know. I know. It's it's the smallest things. Even a compliment can trigger. Yeah. Because it's like, it's just something we don't believe. Yeah. Something like saying you lost weight. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. like people mean it well, but that can be so alarming and triggering. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh. Well, okay. So, um, Going to bad or someone being bad or mm-hmm. versus someone being good. Like, do you believe uh, people can change from that? Like who are deemed as bad? Yes. And, you know, in DBT, we don't use those words, but like they're beha- we're looking at it in terms of like, how are they operating? Their behaviors, right? Are yeah. not working for the, the people around them or for themselves. So effective and ineffective. 
And but I absolutely think people are capable of change. I mean, look, you know, the conversation what we've been talking about, about like just the abilities our brain has to literally morph yeah. <laughs> different neuropathways to change. Like our brain is doing that when we do certain things. So that makes sense. Yeah. So there is a possibility. Absolutely. And, yeah. People okay. are capable. People are so capable um, of, of changing for sure. Um, this is a question. Uh, how can women break the PMS mood swing cycle? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, I love that. I need that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's important to know that, of course, the week before or the week yes. of can make you extremely vulnerable. So I think it's important, again, to identify the symptom. What's, okay, the mood cycle, but be more specific. Like for you, and everyone is different, right? Like what their mood cycles, like what's actually happening for them. So define it for yourself. Um. There's certain strategies, like for instance, do you have an example about like the mood? I can like cranky. So yeah, cranky, um, just extremely irritated, um, maybe not even wanting to do anything. I mean, yeah, it's just you're a completely different person. So one thing I would say is like leading up, to knowing when you're most vulnerable, whether it's before, during, or after. So tracking, that's probably number yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, for sure tracking. And and there may be some things you need to talk to about with your OBGYN too, yeah. like medication-wise. But let's say you've went that route. Um, understanding when it's happening and planning ahead and identifying and inserting things in that week that mm-hmm. make you less vulnerable to whatever it is that's happening. The crankiness, the irritability, the depression. Um since you know it's coming, you can cope ahead for it. That's the cool thing about, I mean, for the most part, if you have like a regular cycle. Yeah. Right. And if you don't know, you definitely know when it's happening because Mother Nature is going to show you. And so you have, then you know, okay, well now. I need to figure something out. Yes. And, and I'm going to put these things into play. Gotcha. So, I mean, it can look like anything for anyone. Working out more, being around people more, maybe getting out a little bit more, going to go get your favorite smoothie or whatever. Right. But, Inserting things in that week where you can have things that make you less vulnerable to the irritability. So pleasant experiences, events, just something to accumulate more pleasant experiences just on a short-term level. Would you say that pushing to do something different than what your mind and your body is used to during that time? So like isolating yourself and not wanting to be around people during this time of PMS, Mm -hmm. like should you push yourself to maybe do the opposite? So maybe your body and brain gets used yeah. to that. Yeah. Instead just, of going back into being that cranky hermit. Yeah. Because it's not working. Yeah. Right. So yeah, doing something that like in theory you want to do, but like for some reason you you just can't get yourself to do it. And you find yourself just like canceling everything. Yeah. The other thing I would say too, and I think a lot of w- women know this, but paying attention to like what you're eating the week before and after. Like, mm-hmm. I know for me, like eating so like dairy, like made me so like the cramps were just worse. Really? Yeah. Or candies. I've heard of that. Yeah. Someone had told me um, or she had posted because she uses a new supplement, but she was saying she noticed a month that she was eating out more. Mm. Her PMS uh, symptoms were yeah horrible. Yeah. So Food has a lot, just what we're in, putting in our bodies or not putting in our bodies 
can also have an effect too. So just kind of understanding kind of what your body's doing. Yeah. Um, and what it can tolerate those weeks. It's again, just kind of taking off, shedding off some of the pain. If you can understand. Yeah. Like what foods will work. And if you could start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, if, if it's really, really, really that bad, there might be some kind of hormonal thing going on. So, I mean, there is a hormonal thing going on, but more than the average. Yeah. I would cue the OBGYN. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I will definitely uh, take that into consideration. <laughs> I yeah. mean, mine is not that bad, but the person who asked, yeah, um, yeah. coming, you know, being a good friend. Yeah. Um, I, I, it gets bad for her. Mm-hmm. Um, is everyone a little narcissistic? I don't. Or do we, or is that another word that we like to throw around too? Yeah. I think it's a word we like to throw around because narcissism is a personality disorder. Like that is oh. a diagnosable personality disorder. If the word maybe we're trying to accurately use is like, I don't know, follow yourself or egotistical or something. Yeah. It's hard to say because the people I come across could probably benefit from a dose of feeling pride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I see a lot of people that don't think they deserve to be happy, you know? So I wouldn't say that we're all that way, but you know, are, are a lot of people, do we have the tendency to like be self-absorbed? Sure. So, some of us have, or a lot of us have a little bit of that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it might get in the way of, I, I even, the word self-absorbed even feels like judgmental, you know, yeah. like sometimes it's, we should be thinking of ourselves. Gotcha. But again, there's points where you're thinking too much of yourself. Yeah. Where it's kind of like overpowering other people's needs that maybe we need to be considering. So no to the narcissist. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, some people do genuinely have, you know, MPD, narcissism, personality disorder. But I think that's also a new word we're throwing out a lot. Yeah. And and like to like put a name to something. To like, yeah, exactly. To justify it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, especially with ex-boyfriends. I mean, yes. he was such a narcissist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's definitely an easy word to throw on. Yeah. Just like… But you have to like find an answer. And so here it is. You're narcissistic. Yeah, that's just one easy way to say it. <laughs> um, personality disorders. Can you describe that? Because I thought depression actually fell under that until it was until my therapist. I said, uh, oh, no, bipolar. Bipolar. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I said bipolar and I thought that was part of the personality disorder. And she said it's oh, yeah. not. Yeah, it's different. And actually, I'm bipolar and borderline personality disorder get misdiagnosed, like they get misdiagnosed for each other. Again, because they look the same. If you think about bipolar, there's ups and downs. Yeah. Right? Same with borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder is like, they're very emotionally reactive. So you're getting a lot of ups and downs based off what's happening in the environment. But bipolar is, there's... um Longer periods of highs, longer periods of lows, like days. Yeah. Sometimes weeks. Borderline, it's up and down, up and down within the hour, within the day. Like it's kind of based off the circumstance or a trigger. Yeah. To what might be happening. What are, uh, so narcissism is personality disorder. It's personality disorder, but it's very different than borderline. Okay. Narcissism is more, and I'm not so expert on this. There's there's criteria for this. I don't know how many of them you have to have, but narcissism is kind of like 
it has to do a lot with actually low self-esteem, but it's the illusion that person's giving off of that, like, like they can't tolerate criticism. And it's not because they're being a jackass. It's they, their self-esteem can't handle it. Right. So they come off as, you know. Egotistical. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah, yeah. You know, but it's all about just what's happening inside. Um, so, nar- but narcissism is a completely different, like, it almost looks more obvious than the difference between like borderline and bipolar. Yeah. Just because they're so, they really do look similar. And I thought it was. I thought, I thought it would just fell under the umbrella of personality, personality disorders. Yeah. No, bipolar is more mood. Okay. The cluster B, it, like in the DSM, we call it cluster B. That's the personality disorders. Those are different. And what are those disorders like? They're so antisocial. Um, but an extreme, so it's an extreme uh, of antisocial. Because you could say you're antisocial, but. Yeah, so antisocial isn't what you would think. Antisocial is like they don't have feeling. Like one of the symptoms is they don't feel. Like they don't have the capacity to feel or empathize. Mm. These are like the school shooters. Okay. You know, uh, like they oh, don't wow. have empathy. That they genuinely don't feel sad. So that yeah. so that's crazy how we use these words like antisocial. Yeah, like yeah, some person just yeah. in the room. No, and I might have to look up the. I don't want to speak incorrectly. Um, yeah, because here's here's some of the symptoms, and again, I don't know how many you have to have, but ignoring the right or wrong, telling lies to take advantage of others, not being sensitive or respectful, using charm or wit to manipulate others. Having a sense of superiority. Um, and this is antisocial? Yeah, this is antisocial. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, we just throw around that another word that we throw around. Yeah, like, oh, I'm no, just I'm being antisocial. <laughs> yeah. And actually, yeah. I didn't even realize the difference until I took like an abnormal psychology course in um, like my later years in college. I was like, whoa, antisocial is not what you think <laughs> no, it and is. and I'm not antisocial. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are far from it. You feel. Yeah, this is the big one. Feeling no guilt about harming others. Ah, uh, okay. That's a big one. So when I hear it again, I'm going to… You'd be like… Nah, you're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're antisocial, you need we to know. We got some big yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I mean, this is… Uh, I, and I don't know what the treatment is for this one. But there's been people that have come to my office that had antisocial personality disorder. And try, we tried to treat it with… Or I tried to treat it with DBT. Doesn't mean it's not, but I don't think it's indicative that I don't think DBT is one of the effective treatments for antisocial. Okay. And so, and then so other disorders that fall under personality disorder. Yeah. So, so MP like uh, narcissism, personality disorder. I, I know I'm missing one too. Um, but the the biggest one I see just because I do DBT is um, borderline personality disorder. Schizoid personality disorder, schizotypical personality disorder. Oh, histrionic. How can I forget about that one? So describe someone who has borderline. What does this person look like or act like? Yeah, so there's nine criteria. And I'm going to pull them up because I know all of them. But when I'm no, speaking okay. of them, then like there's always one or two or three missing. Um, One big one is like the extreme behaviors. So… Suicidality, self-harm, risky behaviors, impulsive behaviors. That's usually one of the criteria for borderline. These are kind of the folks that they get really hot and cold. Like they have the tendency like to like to really value you and they'll put you on a pedestal. 
But when there might be a conflict or a threat of a conflict, you're devalued in a heartbeat. Yeah. And there's different versions. It could be that you're devalued where like they're like mad at you, but they're not like being malicious towards you. And then there might be the extreme of like you pissed them off so bad because you, you know, told them that you like you canceled plans and then. You know, it's there might over be some, with, yeah. Yeah, and then there might be some type. Yeah, they they would lit- literally cut you off. Yeah, for it. Um, that's not the only symptom, but that's kind of a lot of the times what we're dealing with is is that kind of dynamic is the the extreme behavior of like you're cutting someone off. Like that doesn't fit the facts that you cut. Assuming it's the first time, right? You cut off your best friend because she had an emergency. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's kind of, it's unstable moods based off what's happening. And in the interpersonal relationships are really distressing. And they're not, the, and they're not there. Is that, is that a symptom too? Like your relationships, like you have no friends. Well. Or just less of those relationships present. It depends, you know. So, I mean, I've come across several clients that they they actually they do keep friends because they're not they, they may not take that extreme of cutting people off yeah but they are in severe distress that person will maybe may never know but that per, that person is in extreme de, uh, distress because of an interaction that they had with somebody where to me and you it might seem tiny small yeah or simple yeah, but they're having such an emotional reaction. Okay. For it. Okay. Um, so that's one one thing about borderline personality disorder. Um, but the big thing is the uh, mood dysregulation. Um, let me pull up the symptoms. Oh, remember we talked about fear of abandonment. Yes. That's a big one. Okay. I mean, it could be you don't answer a text within a certain amount of time and they're starting to get intense feelings and reactions that I'm being ignored. My therapist doesn't, or this friend or whatever, doesn't like me anymore. Or or maybe your friend is mad at you, but you have this idea that this person is going to cut me off now. And it might be for several different reasons. You've been cut off in the past so many times because of your behaviors, you know? Um, and so, yeah, what what makes me think that this person is going to stay in my life right. after I've been cut off. And this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's nothing else. Like, why not? Yeah. Or, and it would be me. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. So we, we talk a lot about in DBT traumatic invalidation. Like that's a way to develop borderline personality disorders, just being traumatically invalidated, like you're in your childhood yeah. for so long. Like you have learned that your emotions are wrong. Your emotions are too much. Your emotions don't match what you should be doing. So now you're left with your own emotions and it's creating these big distressing, like you, you're you still feeling them, but you've been told to shut up essentially. Right. And, and, to, and it develops into, you know, obviously bigger issues. Too. Of course. And again, maybe, maybe you did have big distressing emotions, but the person in front of you didn't know how to handle it. And again, you're learning the information or you're getting messages that I'm too much. Yeah. My emotions are too much and it's causing people to leave. 
Even from someone important to you that yeah. you're just a mom. I mean, it could be just from your mom or just both parents. Yeah. 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 One thing I'll say too, like people will ask me like, how come you like work with this population? They, they love hard. You know what I mean? Like they're easy to love. Yeah. Because the the admiration and the way they can connect to people is just so great, you know? And so what makes it kind of in terms of suicide goes, the fact that there's this trust and there's, the, and obviously they care about their therapist so much in some or most cases that the the idea that suicide, I mean, I've told clients, some clients that this would actually like um, affect. And, and I actually tr- hold true to this. If you committed suicide, I'm not going to your funeral, you know, or, them understanding what suicide would do to me naturally, right? Like as a therapist, like that sometimes is enough to keep them going alive. Or that's enough that the fact that my therapist responds and it cares enough to say, like when no one else really wants to deal with my emotions, like that sometimes that connection is enough for that person to be able to say like, okay, I just needed validation. Right. When after for so long. Yeah. You don't, you don't think anybody cares. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's very powerful. Yeah. That's why they say, I mean, you just never know how you affect people. It could be a simple interaction at a grocery store. You just don't know what someone else is going through. You don't. Just like they don't know what you're going through. And you would hope that someone just treats you, uh, treats you kindly. It just, it goes so far. Yeah. You know? I, I try to have better interactions even with people who may not come off as uh, with such a great uh, maybe high or mm-hmm. just their reaction or maybe they're having a horrible, like those people that just have like a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. I have so much more of a perspective for those people now mm-hmm. versus reacting the same way. Yeah. Um, like, the, you know, the old me would have. Um because it's just like, I just wonder what they are going through right now yeah. that makes them act this way or react this way. Yeah. I always say you can't hate someone's story that you know. You know, like… Yeah. No, that makes sense. We won't ever… Like, in some cases, you will never know what yeah. they're going through. But, like, if you just knew. Yeah. Right? Like, that really just changes your perspective. Or… um you know, in a circle, like, you know, we, we could sit here in a circle and like talk about our traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, would you take yours back? Like the, the chances of you taking yours back or taking someone else's. Yeah. The chances of you taking yours back, you would take them back in a heartbeat yeah. versus what maybe you have gone through in your life. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's another example of just like being a uh, compassionate, just showing empathy for mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. Um, and just not really knowing the situation that they're in right now. Yeah. I always try it. Like when you get frustrated about, and you just want to go there with somebody, like I think of it in terms of like a stranger, like I have to think, like, you know what? They might be planning something like catastrophic tonight. Yeah. Let me not be the one to add. Oh yeah. You know, like you just don't know. You really don't. Um, And you don't want to be part of that mess. Mm-mm. And I, so I understand why you would say, like, I wouldn't go to your funeral. It's almost mm-hmm. like an accountability. Yeah. And that's a limit for me. Like, I wouldn't, first of all, knock on wood, and God forbid, I, I haven't had anyone take their life while I was treating them. But 
I already know how that would affect me if I didn't go to their funeral. And then that's just a limit for me. I couldn't bear going to that funeral. Yeah. Knowing they took their life, you know, under my care. And that, that is something that, is that something that you would have to, or have you prepared for? Is there like a a training for that? You know, you're never prepared. And that's why the consultation team is so important because we talk about these things. Like our clients are just so, they're highly suicidal. And I can't do it my, on my own. Like my understand, like having my other four like team members, when I start talking about what's happening in therapy, it's, they're giving me other perspectives and things that I don't, um, that I'm not considering to be able to help that client. And the other part of consultation team is so that I can put it there. I've had a team member lose somebody to suicide and he just, and we needed to be there for him. Like he couldn't, I mean, he was, he didn't use uh, offer phone coaching for several weeks for understandable reasons. Like it was, he was just in a place where he couldn't, it's just something you can't prepare for. Right. You know, but, and when it happens, you just have to know you have your team. Yeah. Um. And again, depending on the circumstance, and I take this approach in life in general, like you just don't know. There's no, I don't want to say there's no point to like stress about it, but you just don't know what circumstance it's going to be hard no matter what, but I don't know what version of hard I'm going to get. Of course. You know? And so we'll cross that bridge when it happens and yeah. you have the support, but you know, when you're working with this population, it's, it's, it can happen. It, Yeah. Like we're probably the most likely to be in that situation than someone that doesn't see this type of population. Yeah. You know? So do you see, do you go to therapy? Like, are you required? Is there a requirement? There's not a requirement, but it's definitely encouraged. And I do see somebody once a week. Actually, I just scaled back just because I'm about to go on a bunch of um, vacations. So I told her, let me just read your little you. therapy right there. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just go, honestly, just to have somewhere to put things. Yeah. You know, like at first it was more to deal with like anxieties and things like that. But now… I don't think I would necessarily like, I would be okay without it, but I like to have somewhere just to like release. Yeah. And I don't want to like be put in a position where it's like, oh shoot, well now I need it. And then I can't get in with her. Do you you find that it can be more about being a therapist and like having to deal with other people's versus your own? So in the beginning of my Career, yes. And I don't know what button I pushed. And I think this is just with experience. The stories I hear now affect me less. Yeah. I mean, they affect you, right? But it's not, I'm not up all night. I used not to, to your be, core. Yeah. Like I used to, I couldn't sleep. But like if someone was suicidal, I'm like, okay, I, I need to like make sure I don't miss their call. Like, so I think it just with experience too, you just get to a point where, I know the work I'm doing is working. Yeah. You know, and and I know which clients are going to need more support during the week than others. Right. And I'm set. Like, we have plans for that. Right. You prepare. Yeah. You know, like, I'll do check-ins with them and things like that. But, yeah, it's become less so talking about, you know, the therapy and what I'm taking on. There are some times where I do have to put it somewhere. Right. Like, if I'm doing a trauma treatment. I have got to put it somewhere because it's just, that doesn't get easy just hearing because no one's trauma story is the same. Oh, of course. You know, so like hearing those type of things and I limit it. 
just because I'm not a trauma therapist in nature. So like I will probably only take on like two trauma clients at a time. Yeah. That are like in the midst of like their trauma treatment. Just because that that I know will affect just the way I sleep, the way I Interact. have my daughter playing at the park. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know no, what I, I mean? I can imagine. Yeah. Like you just get paranoid. And I'm sh- I'm sure after time you've been able to set that boundary too. Yeah. For yourself. I mean, yeah. it's for your own health. Your own, I mean, yeah, you have yeah. to. Yeah. And I think I've just, I've gotten better at that. Before I would just take anyone and everyone on. But I'm not being a good therapist if I'm not understanding where my limits are. Absolutely. And then burning myself. Like to have a burned out therapist who wants that. Yeah. Because we naturally absorb too. So, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I mean, I got to hand it to you guys. I mean, therapists. Because I couldn't. I mean, you listen to everyone else's, including yeah. your own. Yeah. And still probably dealing with your own. Yeah, yeah. So I can, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, as a friend or a family member, um, how can you help someone who has a substance abuse? Or I guess the way to ask that is, how can you help someone who has a substance abuse that may be a friend or family member? Yeah, where they, sh- like, where you're thinking they need treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So remember, or even or even someone who is not seeking treatment. Yeah. So remember you're not going to be their therapist. Yeah. You know, so if it's something where you're identifying that, you know, it's getting in the way of their functioning, that's not your place. Support them, mm-hmm. right? But it's just like someone that is getting treated for cancer, you know, you're not the treatment. The chemotherapy is. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, like but somebody that's going through chemo treatment, they need their loved ones to just again, feel supported and loved and cared for so they have the energy to keep going. Yeah. Right? And it's the same with anything, drug treatment or anything like that. You're not going to be the therapy. You're not going to love them out of their drug addiction. Right. You know? The love is important. Is there a certain level of tough love that you can give? Yes. to, To someone? Depending on the person and depending on the relationship and the circumstance. But yeah, there's some times where you might have, like there's some circumstances where you're probably enabling and you have got to be able to cut that off for their sake, for your sake, for both. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can give it to them in a, I guess, a straightforward way, because some people just need it the straightforward way. Yeah. You know, but there's never one strategy that's going to work for every situation, every person, you know. If only, if only, I feel like we'd have more answers, obviously. That would be lovely. Oh my right. gosh, it would make every reaction situation yeah you know it would make it so easy and that's one thing too like even as a therapist I don't treat my clients the same and that sounds bad but like some people need the straightforward abrupt approach and yeah. a reverent approach some people need the more validating nurturing like the like baby gonna, steps yeah, yeah you know and again some circumstances are just going to be different um so as having a loved one going through that you have to be able to read the situation what do they need right now? Yeah. And assessing that. Because if you're just reacting, you're not, you're not really listening or responding. Right? Yeah. So you ask yourself, what, what do I think they need? And you might get it wrong, but go through that filter. Okay. And then determine what approach to take. Yeah. And speaking of family members, uh, this was a question. How, does, how to deal with family members, toxic family members? Or Boundaries, that- limits. And that, and, and, when you find yourself becoming or going back to that old mental model, something that you were conditioned into. Yeah. 
it's tough because again, you need to recognize when you're going the the old route, right? Yeah. Um, and again, depending on how toxic looks, you'll address this in a different way. But it's really important to identify what are you doing to protect yourself, or what should you be doing to protect your energy or whatever it is from that family member. Just because they're family doesn't mean you owe them. Doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you need to just be a do- doormat. And let them do and treat you however they want. Yeah. You know, if it means the relationship needs to look different. If it needs to have different boundaries or limits. Um, if it means going to the extreme of cutting them off, then that's what you need to do for yourself. I've always, I've always um, believed in that. Yeah. I have. And I, I feel like I've gotten some um, opposite feedback. Like mm-hmm. it's family. You should be able to like work it out or you should be able to. You have to do this. Like sure. You have to be there. And give it your best shot, of course. You know, but this is under the assumption that you've tried the ways of like talking to them and telling them how you feel about it and what yeah. you're wanting. Um, but there are certain points that just because they're blood doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good for you. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I would think that you would treat it like any other relationship in your life. Yeah. They don't get this royalty status and all these excuses to treat you that way. Yeah. Just because you're family. Right. You know, I mean, again, when they're family, you would think, or someone really important to you, they might get a few more notches than someone else that you just met naturally. Right. But it is really important to recognize like what that, what those relationships are doing for you. Like, again, extreme example, but someone that like literally physically or sexually abused you, a family member, fuck that. Yeah. Like, no, you yeah. don't need to be around them at all. Yeah. You know? Um, or even that puts you in a mental stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there, again, there's different versions of what toxic looks like. Right. And that might be a word that someone, you know, if someone Subjective. said something. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the word toxic, like, you know, someone said, di- disagreed with them and they said they're toxic. That's not toxic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Um, or I guess that you recognize as toxic. I would think is hopefully we all come from uh, a better understanding of these words like toxic. Yeah. So when you mention it as being toxic, it's truly to- like you cannot be around this person. You can't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't be yourself around this person. You can't be a better person around this person. Yeah. Like yeah. because they aren't or whatever the case exactly. is. Exactly. The other thing too is like… um it doesn't need to go to the extreme of cutting them off. Maybe that's the necessary thing, but there's also, again, on the spectrum of all the extremes you could do, maybe the relationship just needs to look different, right? Like maybe you just don't need to tell them your deepest, darkest secrets, but you could probably tolerate being around them at Christmas. Right. You know, so it doesn't need to always just be, I need to cut them off, but assess, can the relationship look different and that still make me protect myself? Yeah. Right. So that's kind of a version I would take before cutting someone off. Too, of course. If you can help trying that. all the trying all the methods and yeah. All options. Yeah. Speaking of family, um, do you believe generational trauma is a thing? Yeah. Big time. Big time. Um, I think there's a lot of power in like what you see from your parents, right? What you learn and then you absorb that mm-hmm. and then it gets transmitted down to you and then your kids and, and so on. Um, and it's very common, you know, growing up in domestic violent situations, like if you look at it, 
it's not uncommon that if your parent went through it, if you're going through it, that your parent may have gone through it and their parent has gone through it. Yeah. Um, not saying that's the case all the time. I have noticed a pattern like that. Like if I yeah. ever hear a story or a friend, I've, I've noticed that maybe their parent went through the same thing. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's, it's not crazy. I don't want to say it's crazy to me, but it's just to think that that's, it's like a trauma bond almost that the generation has. And I, I'd like to believe that because it's something that you haven't resolved within yourself. Yeah. It's likely to pass to the next generation. Exactly. Until that like karmic. Yeah. Is resolved, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even just the way we talk, right? And the way we express ourselves. Let's even just taking trauma out of it. That, look, you say you had your dad's patterns, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what how his dad or his mom was like. But like, we absorb and learn things from people we've, I mean, think about it. You've been with your family for from zero to, you know, typically know, 18. Yeah. And before you start thinking for yourself, really… We're it shown. takes a minute. Yeah, it takes a minute when you're out of it. Like, whoa, there's a whole nother world out here. I know, I know. Than this, you yeah. know? I think about this, and this is not coming from trauma, but maybe vicarious trauma, just from hearing things in the news and my line of work. But I'm extremely paranoid in grocery stores and parks and stuff when I have my daughter. Oh, And yeah. I'm even more nervous with the second baby, like just having two by the time I put one in the car seat, one is how am one I going to left? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like just, and you hear about these stories of these kids getting snatched up, and if you think about it, and, and I'm seeing it in my daughter, and I'm really trying to be careful not to like inadvertently transmit my that fear, paranoias. Yeah. Oh my gosh! But I also want her to like know you can't run away without me at the park. Like I need to have your, yeah. my eyes on you. Yeah. You know? There's like a healthy way of instilling it. Yeah. And something as simple as that at three, she's saying like, because I have this thing where when I put her in the car, like, because when I get her in the car, she wants to like, you know, look at my cup holder, go play in the back seat, And I'm like, get in the car seat. I want to get in the, <laughs> lock the door and get in the car. <laughs> right? And I haven't explicitly said a stranger might come yeah, snatch you. Yeah. But she's seeing… And she's, and granted, she's a very smart three-year-old, but she's seeing that I'm like, okay, get in the car. Like, I'm getting a little bit more. Let's get it's in like your car It's like a nervousness, seat. yeah. Yeah. And she asks why. Why, mommy? And I'm like, let's just not cause attention in the parking lot right now. Like, that's the way I'll say it. And she has now, like, just from that, say, is somebody going to take me? Like, now oh she made the kid. And it's crazy. Oh, wow. Just from this simple paranoia. A reaction, an interaction I've had two or three times with her. And then after now she's saying this. So now put it on a bigger scale. Domestic violence. Addiction. Yeah. Poverty. Like these things are. And they translate however. And it translates so differently person to person too. Yeah. Is what I've. Because it's like this same trauma maybe can happen to two people. But person A may take it as, I'm never going to do these drugs like my parents did. Yeah. And then person B, the sibling, yeah. sibling could end up just like the parents. Exactly. Yeah. You can have two different types of responses. There's a, because you brought up your daughter, um, there's this thing that I've noticed with my son. And I've noticed I got it from my mom 
we get very startled easily. Mm-hmm. And my mom, I remember as a child, um, and she still to this day will get very startled easily. Mm. Like I could like turn a corner. We know we're, we're in the same place, but I could turn a corner if she's like walking it and I startle her. <laughs> really? And so the same thing happens to me and it'll happen in the in the house. And just, and my boyfriend is like, but you know, I'm here. Like, I, why do you get so startled? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. And it's almost like, I'll just be doing something like busy doing something and you just say hi or something. And yeah. I get so startled. It's almost like you caught me doing something red-handed, but I'm not. I'm just doing yeah. something about my day, whatever. <laughs> I knew you were in the house, but I don't know why. Yeah. And I noticed that Aiden, it hap- happens he does to it Aiden too. now. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. And it's, and I don't want to live in fear. It's not that I live in fear. Yeah. But it's just like, I, it has to be like that generational. Yeah, you I hate to say it. fear. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you think it's fear initially or it's like an involuntary response? And then obviously on the outside, you're looking startled. I think it's a fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be an example, you know? And now if it's an involuntary response, I would go to say that you guys— <laughs> I think it's both. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> How do you determine, yeah. you know? It is hard to—yeah, there's a fine line because it happens so fast. Like the response and yeah. the fear. Yeah. Um, And it could just be too, like, you guys' sensitivity to that stimuli of, like, an abrupt— Yeah person turning around, like someone turning around the corner real quick. Um, but yeah, it's these things, our habits, our patterns, like they're, it's they so on. easily Sensitive. passed down. Yeah. Well, and I think of too, like the way my dad raised us, him being in the military and absolutely paranoid about everything too. So, and that's how I could probably relate it to fear is that he always taught us like blinds closed, garage closed, <laughs> yeah. like lock, are all the doors locked? Yeah, Like, yeah. it's a common thing that I'll ask Justin. Did you lock all the doors? <laughs> Knowing that some of these doors have never been touched. Yeah. Like, I need to know that you went to every door yeah, yeah. and made sure it's locked. Windows. And he's and he's a logical person. He's like, do you understand that they could just bust through the window yeah. and unlock the door? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he always tells me locks are for honest people. Like, if <laughs> right. somebody's going to break into our house, they don't care if That's the door is locked. That's a good way locked. to put it. Like, that person ain't honest coming to your right. doorstep. <laughs> but it's just not how it's conditioned into yeah. thinking. Like, yeah, I yeah. need to know and know that the doors have been locked. Yeah, yeah. And so even something simple like leaving the garage door open, like, today, it was so weird to me. Like, mm-hmm. I had to, like, let it go. Like, it's okay. Like, he left it open. Yeah. You know? Like, just let it be. Like, yeah, just kind of let it be. It's all yeah. right. You know? Yeah, these, I mean, and those messages of, like, the locks, like your dad saying, did a lock now? Even though he probably didn't explicitly say someone's gonna break into our, I'm afraid someone's gonna break in our house. But you, you put learned. the two and two yes, together, yes. You know, like your three year old. They're just so. I think as kids, we're so intuitive, very. And it's up to us whether we sit there and listen to our intuition and our gut feeling as we grow up, or we ignore it and yeah. then we're confused the rest of our life because we don't know the answer. And you have to foster it as a kid, like for if you have kids, like. Let them explore that and don't shut it down. Yes. You know, like it's so important for me when my daughter's feeling something. Yeah. To just like let her express it like what's happening, you know, or like I get it. I know that's hard. Or instead of like stop being a brat or stop being a suck it, you know, like those kind of things where it's just teaching them shut it down. Yeah. You know, expanding it more. Yeah. Which is hard because yeah. again, as a parent, and that's not to say I do it perfectly because I do get frustrated with my kid, but. When we can really help it, like it is really our job to like be regulated and show them we're regulated so they can regulate. Like yeah. a two, three, four, five year old, they don't, 
know how to do that by themselves. Not at all. It's up to us to teach it that. I mean, I'm that. still going through it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, a lifetime battle with them. Oh, my you gosh. Mo- it, the modeling is just so important. And again, that's that generational. You can pass down the healthy habits generationally. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Both. Yeah. Um, this was a question I got twice, actually. What is love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a and how do I accept it? Question. I know no. The what is love is is I think is very complicated. I yeah, that's more of like a an emotion as just as far as like how you feel. It is and around the person or people because it can go from friendship to you know romantic partner, family members, and all that. Yeah, but maybe the how do you accept it is an easier maybe. Yeah, because the love question that's hard, right? Like, what is love? I, that could look different for everybody because my version of what, like if we're talking about a partner, it's going to be my ability to love a certain thing is going to be different than someone else's. But like, I'll use the example of the Falcons. I love the Falcons. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't like, like, but someone would not be able to tolerate that type of love. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now in terms of like, obviously like people, right? And partners and things like that. How do you accept it? Um, well, let me go back. Yes, love is an emotion. For sure. To accept it. Again, why are we not accepting it? Is it trauma? Is it um, just bad luck? Have you not gone there yet and you're just afraid to go, right? Recognizing that like everything is a risk. Everything that's good because love in general, right? Like, I think it's something people would want technically. Yeah. But there's a lot of, again, fear and risk and vulnerability involved in that. So it's scary. So recognizing it is a risk. And everything that's worth having is a risk. A job. Having the career you want, right? And you're sacrificing all this time and money and training and all this stuff to there's a risk that it could be taken away, right? Like you could get, God forbid, in a car accident and you can't do your job now. Yeah. Right? But I always say easy come, easy go, right? Like if it actually took time to get there, it's going to be a lot harder for it to get taken away too. How do you accept it? I think you just have to like be okay and first recognize, am I capable and worthy of it? Because a lot of people don't think they're worthy of it. That's a whole nother kind of, of course, ball game. therapy, you yeah. know, thing that you got to work through. But take the jump, assuming it's somebody that's worth loving. And when I say by that is like someone that's not toxic, someone that like. Um, Reciprocating maybe the yeah, same. Right. In DBT, we actually talk about justified love and unjustified love. Like justified love is, again, in theory, it's healthy. But unjustified love is stuff, a person or a thing that you shouldn't be loving. Gotcha. Like, and you're making the excuse yeah, to so, love. Yeah, like someone that's abused and used you, right? That's unjustified love. You don't need to be loving them yeah. in theory, right? Or they're not good for you. Um, or or loving a drug, right? Gotcha. Unhealthy. Right. Um, so it's it's leaning into the scary thing. You know, like I always use the example of like a slide, like a little kid on a slide, a really, really steep slide. When you're looking down and you're like, I want to get there. The longer you're waiting, the bigger the fear is getting. It and really you just is, yeah. need to go. Yeah. Right? So assuming you ha- you're you in an opportunity where like this person cares about you and loves you. 
and is ready to receive you. Like you, unfortunately, and again, it's hard just taking the risk, but make the jump and then cross that bridge if something happens. Yeah. You know, like we can't plan for everything. I love that term crossing the bridge when it happens. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just, it confirms that your fear may not even happen. Yeah. And like I said earlier, it may not happen the way you think it's even going to happen. You right. know, you might be the one to say, I don't love that person anymore and then dip out. Exactly. You know? Like and, it didn't work out yeah. and for its own reasons. Yeah. And, but I always say like, freak out about it when it's time to freak out about it. Yeah. You know? Which is um, Again, using certain like, like, hopefully you're a good judge of character. You know, like that takes a little bit of trial and error. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, what are some therapeutic therapeutic methods or coping mechanisms that you use? For like anxiety and just kind of yeah. stress in general. I'll share actually a really good coping mechanism with um, that DBT talks about. It's called the temperature skill. And it's a really effective way to bring your emotional arousal down. Like if you're like really anxious, really angry, like just really hyped up. It's going to sound crazy, but um, you put your face in cold water. And you hold your breath for 30 to 45 seconds. In the cold water? Yeah. You literally put your whole face in there. Um, And what it does is it initiates something called the dive response. So your brain basically thinks you're drowning. So it's shutting down the non-essential organs in your body. Your body is basically going in like, kind of like how your phone would go in like low power mode or whatever. Yeah. To savor your energy to survive. So inevitably what that does is it slows down your heart rate and it slows down your biological reactions. So that feeling of the emotion, the sensation of the emotion is kind of numbed mm-hmm. or suppressed. And it sounds anti-therapy, but this is, these are the things you do when like, you're so anxious, you can't function. You can't get out the door. You're so angry about to do something that you're going to regret. Or can this help with depression too? Or like a moments of sadness? I wouldn't use the temperature skill when you're sad because it has the effect of slowing it down. Like slowing you down. Oh, and when you're okay. depressed, you're and really you don't want to be slow. Yeah. Yeah. Once I use this skill, like when I teach it, usually I get people like a volunteer to like put their face in a bucket of water and tell everyone like what they noticed. And I did it on a kid one time. He was so hyperactive. I didn't pick him on purpose. He was the one that like volunteered a different kid. Like he literally was sitting in group quiet. Like he was about to fall asleep actually. Like he was so numb. And it lasts for like 15 minutes, but it's enough. You need that 15 minutes to like make a different decision or like just say like, okay, like I'm good. Like you said, it's about time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other things, like just being outside too. Yeah. Does something. You being around people. That's really important for me is being around people when I'm just kind of going through a mode. I need to be out of the house around people. Actually, it doesn't have to be out of the house. If people want to come to me, that's fine. But that socialization is so important, especially when we're talking about depression. Because on the other hand, when we're talking about depression, how to cope with it. Again, not that this is going to treat your depression, but this just helps you get through moments. Can you find a way to behaviorally activate? So for me, I have to be doing something that stimulates my mind, right? For someone else, it might be physically, being physically active. Yeah. Um, having conversation, you know, like having deep conversation stimulates my mind. You know, oh, you know? for sure. So just kind of knowing those hacks of like what works for you and like what actually 
it's that mode in your brain. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you have to try different things. I, I feel like yeah. people think it's either like meditate, workout, you know, or therapy or, you know. Yeah. But there's so many, I mean, jur- or journaling. I mean, there's so many different things there's for different yeah. people. For some people, if you have like an anxious mind or like a fast moving mind, it might be something as simple as I just need to sit down, lay on the couch and scroll on TikTok. <laughs> like yeah. just do something mindless. Right. Mindless. You yes. know? Yes. So it, 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 I think it depends on just the type of brain yeah. that you have. And it takes trial and error and trying and it out. It does. And you don't know what's going to stick and what's not going to stick, but try it and then see what happens. I never would have thought in a million years that I would want to focus on business, but something about understanding business stimulates my mind and that keeps me going. Yeah. You know? We all have our things. Yeah, yeah. It's like shows. You all have your random. Yeah, exactly. Um, Speaking of habits, fetishes, Mm -hmm. are those always tied to a traumatic experience in life? Usually it is. I don't know if it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's always um, related to childhood trauma, but the majority of it is. Usually there's a combination. It's like high secrecy, um, high shame. The secrecy is a big part of it. And high eroticism, right? So like, it's just, you're super charged up. Um, and usually it's from some type of trauma or something you were exposed to at a young age. Okay. So you can kind of always tie it back to that. Yeah. I think I'm trying to remember. I think I have heard, and I'm sure it's out there that people have fetishes and it's unrelated. It's not related to a trauma. It's just something they develop. How do I like, do I know how it developed? Not necessarily. But it it is very common that these fetishes do develop from traumatic experiences as a kid. Yeah. Or maybe, I mean, it's, I feel like you may not even remember how. Yeah. You might not know the source. Right. Yeah. Again, the hypnotherapy, I think. That would be a good, yeah. I really want to look into that hypnotherapy. It's, yeah. That's a very, that's a very cool treatment. Um. What do you say to someone that feels like they have tried every coping mechanism? There's more. <laughs> yeah. But that, that not, that's not to invalidate them. They're probably, from what they're aware of, they've tried everything, yeah. right? So it, the hard part is knowing, okay, well, what else is there? Yeah. You know? Or what can you tell me that you have tried? And maybe there's something that I can suggest. Or maybe we can look up something together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that exactly. we can try. And just having conversation with people, like maybe if there's people in their life that they know have, you know, they're kind of on an adventure of self-help, like asking like, what kind of things have you guys tried? Just getting more information. And and maybe it's something that you have tried before. Yeah. But at the time when you tried it, you weren't ready. You're at a different place in your life. Or maybe it just, you know, the circumstance was what it was and it might benefit you now. That was me with journaling. Yeah. That was really, I mean, I always tried it. I would get new notebooks thinking that I was going to like hit something, get a cute little notebook, two pages done. Yeah. And the rest is like, I'll look back as like 2019. I'm like, oh my God. Right, right. But now I I love it and it works. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that like 
try something that you may even tried before and may stick this time. Yeah. Imagine if you just threw it out like, well, you, it didn't work before. So yeah. I try it again. Yeah. You know, uh, that's what I did. And it yeah. probably was like the fourth or fifth time that I tried it. And now it's sticking. Yeah. Um, and so maybe just, I don't know, I had to reach this certain point of my life and mental health and the improvements that I even made to get to that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I like how you brought that up. Um, for a person who says that they don't know who they are, um, how can they start to de- identify themselves? Um, there's a lot of things, but, but I think it would start with just having the honest, and let's assume you just don't have a therapist, but just the honest conversations with yourself. Like what, what do you know about yourself and what do you not know about yourself? And sometimes it's easier to answer that second question first. I like that. Yeah. Like just like, what do you not know about yourself? What do you want to know about yourself? Right. And just start with that. Like start with one of them. Because again, if you look at all the things you don't understand about yourself, that's so overwhelming. Where do you start? So take it and look at some one of the things. And let me just explore that. Yeah. Lose the idea that you're going to figure out the answer again today, tomorrow, next week. But just start trying things to help elicit an answer. Maybe even having the objective in your mind that I need an answer isn't the right objective. Like just the objective of, let me just see what happens. Yeah. And going take for it. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had a friend because um, she didn't know what to do with her career. And, and I was like, you know, well, what do you like? And she's like, I, don't, I really don't even know what I like. Mm. And I was like, well, maybe that's a good po- starting point to figure out what you like. Yeah. And um, definitely big on identity issues. Yeah. Like identity, the problem with identity. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the best. I was like, well, we got to figure out what you like then. Yeah. And that journey doesn't ever stop, you it know? It doesn't. Yeah. Like, because you could stop liking something that you've been doing for years. Okay, yeah. what's next? And we're constantly changing. So self-actualization is always just like something we're always achieving and growing. And we should be growing. Yes. Self-actualization. That yeah. Is, that's it. Yeah. And reflection. Yes. What makes a good therapist? Someone that can be relatable. Not even relatable. But has the ability to connect with the people that have a hard time getting connected with people. Um, but someone also that's like just willing to learn, you know, like I know that my, I have so many limitations as far as like just certain specialties and I need to learn because it's not, these things will come up in therapy. Yeah. Right. So like expanding and being willing to like learn and get trained on things that you didn't have an interest or maybe that, that you just don't have knowledge on. Um, but someone that just can really meet you somewhere, like in a deep way, non-judgmentally. Yeah, because that's in our average relationships, you're gonna get judgments, you know. Oh, of course. So, and it's and it's easy to come off as judgmental. So somebody that you you really feel like you no matter what you're saying, no matter how much shame you have, that that therapist isn't giving you that judgment right yeah. back. Because shame, that's what, that's shame what is one of the hardest here. ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're infested in being embarrassed and rejected. Yeah. You know? It's like probably why I have these problems that I'm bringing to you. So it's like, oh, another person to judge me or not understand or yeah. just, yeah. 
So if my therapist is going to judge me, then wow, I must be really messed right. up. Right. You know? Um, for someone who's just starting therapy, what do you, how do you scale of how, mu- how many therapy sessions you need? Like how often you should see a therapist? So that'll depend. But like in general, it's like once a week to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then the therapist should probably assess like, you know, are they ready to get, you know, go down to biweekly or just kind of be done okay. with therapy. And how do you know therapy is working? I think if it's important to set the goals, right? Like right. What, what objectives are you seeking in therapy? And they don't have to be like super specific, but at least just have an idea and keep like having litmus tests every so often um, to see like, okay, am I moving closer to this goal? Am I being effective? That's really important to assess like the process. Are these counseling, so counseling goals, are these set up with the therapist or should they be the ones to set them or should you go into it like, hey, what what are some things I want to work on or be better at? You don't even have to know. You know, like that's the job of the therapist too is to help you figure out what that is. And some people will know like what things in general they want to work on. But sometimes I have people that say, I don't know what I want. I just want to be happy. You know, so now let's figure out what what that's all going to entail. Yeah. You know, what problems in your life do we need to solve to get you there? What will make your life better, worth living, and things like that. Um, so you can definitely have, like, your therapist should be able to help you with that process. And your goals will change. Of course. You know, one time I had someone that said, I want to marry uh, Brad Pitt. I was like, okay, cool. We're going to put it on there. And of course, it changed in three oh. months. And she was dead serious. That's but, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but hey, everyone, I mean, everyone has this something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's some qualities of Brad Pitt that she loves. Um, right? And that's what's important to understand, right? Like, yeah. is that going to happen? Probably not. But what's important is like, what is it about that that makes you want to strive for that? And throughout the course of therapy, she was able to like recognize something that really was underneath that, right? Yeah. So yeah. um, that's kind of the role of the therapist is like when they're identifying things that maybe you're not identifying is to put it out there. Like, hey, this is kind of like what I'm noticing here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would think it's part of the job. So, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys discover some amazing things. You guys are like uh, miracle workers. That's the word I was working, yeah, looking try to for. Be. <laughs> yeah. No, Sometimes it, it doesn't land, you know? I mean, I think it just takes uh, a genuine try, genuine yeah. Um, effort. Yeah. From both sides. It does. From both sides. It does. And there are days where I've told, um, like, I don't, it, like, it wouldn't have been, like, an effective, quote-unquote, session. That doesn't mean that it wasn't for the client, but I felt like I didn't, I feel like I missed something. Yeah. You know, like, because we have off days, too. Of course. Right? Or off sessions or, you know. Um, But again, that relationship, that's why that relationship is so important because it could carry you through that. Like, uh, my therapist didn't get, I don't feel like I got. I, I don't feel like my therapist got what I was trying to say today. Yeah. You know? And maybe just the day too. Or that, yeah. that session in general. Yeah, yeah. So no reason to give up quite yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. Um, I mean, that that's ha- it's not a mad Like therapists are not going to be the magic pill every single time. I mean, obviously their expertise is so important and hopefully they'll be able to recover from it. And I'm, and that's, I'm not talking about the ones that are just a disaster, right? Like there's some 
therapy sessions are a disaster and maybe you use that information to say, I need to move on from this therapist. But just if that therapist is on their B game, again, it might not be because they don't care because they don't get you. It might just be whatever it is, their expertise. You know, like, for instance, if someone brings up an eating disorder, right? Again, that's not my expertise. I know enough and I've done some trainings, but again, I wouldn't say I'm the expert here. You might get a B session from me. Yeah. You know, if we start touching on that. That makes sense. Um, but at least you're honest about it. And yeah. I think that that helps too. Like, hey, here's my experience with it and what yeah. I'm going to best try to explain to you. Yeah. Um, but is that something you say like, this, yeah. this is not what I specialize in, but I will do yeah. my best? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be upfront with it. Okay. You know, Um and if it, again, if it's to the point where I see it needs to be eating disorder treatment, then I'll say, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta take a turn here." It doesn't mean I'll drop them. Like if they still want to see me, that's fine. Of course, you know. But the eating disorders, like, there's a point where I gotta recognize it's out of my expertise. Okay. Just like someone with suicide, I don't. Not every therapist should or will treat that, right? Yeah. And they'll make a referral to someone that will. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you what influenced you into becoming a therapist. There was, so in high school, I was like in an empty place and I never really felt like super validated or anything that people like cared. Like everyone's just kind of in their own lane. Yeah. Dealing with my own stuff. And I had a mentor. Her name was Monique. She just listened. Like she cared. She listened. She would take me out. She like, and I had so much trouble in school. Wasn't even funny. Like she was just someone I went to church with. You know, but like one day I told her I have trouble reading and she was like, she bought the book and she was like, let's read it together. And then let's talk about what we learned. Like, what? You're 25. I'm some random 16 year old. Like, you're going to spend this time reading this book with me, you know? And then it was big deeper than that, right? Like she just spent time. I just felt like important and cared for and validated and things like that. And I remember thinking, I want, I want to be that to somebody, you know, um, because I did feel so empty. I mean, there was just some things that like, I just felt empty. No one got it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have anywhere to put it. And I didn't even like, I never, I didn't, I knew what therapy was, but like in my culture, therapy is for crazy people. Yeah. You know, you don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously not what that is, but that's for like the special extreme circumstances. I never thought like I could, you know, I didn't think that was an option. So I just want, I wanted to be that for somebody, for, for the, the people that felt like unlovable or uncared for. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Has it healed you in a lot of ways, just even speaking to other people and being that person? Yeah. I mean, it's so, that's like what keeps me going because it is such hard work. Yeah. And so when you see like the work happening, it's like, and I didn't have the plan for it to happen that way. Right. <laughs> you it, know just, what I mean? it just happens. Yeah. And you don't, you, you don't even know when it's going to click for the other person. Yeah. And everyone's journey, like you, you, you're rolling out the treatment, but you're aware that it's going to happen differently for everybody. Yeah. You know, so like seeing people's like, first of all, hearing their stories is just like, how are you even here still? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it just like how can you not be invested and involved and care enough to like keep going that extra mile for people? Right. It's someone else's life. And I, I think 
people don't care enough about the person next to them. Unless yeah. it's a friend or family. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, we forget that other people have feelings and a whole life yeah. behind the maybe anger or just the bad interaction or whatever, the person that's passing by us. Yeah. Um, and we forget about that. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we all have, it's easy, again, it's easy to stay in our lane. Yeah. And, and forget. But I consider myself lucky that I have a job where like, you can't forget, like, this is what you do, yeah. you know, and I get to, like, get that need met for me because it is important for me as a human being to feel like I'm, like, making a difference and a change. In, and I get to do this at my nine to five. I love that. You know? Yeah. I know. I seriously love yeah. that, especially with doing a podcast. I mean, I yeah, I can relate. Yeah, yeah. Um, with a family of your own, do you see being a therapist more of a benefit or? Yes, I do. Because I, I do think I have an advantage to be able to, I can understand, you know, for example, a tantrum. She's not just being a brat. She's not just seeking attention. There's something she's needing that she's not able to say. Yeah. You know, or express. Um, and just understanding relationship. Like, I, there's such an advantage. Like the psyche sure. behind yeah, everything like, almost. Yeah. Like, I feel like if our parents knew this information, we would have, like, right, you, you do know, something like, different. Yeah, it's just that it's a whole advantage. Yeah. You know, but I think there is a fine line between, like, becoming the house therapist. <laughs> the too. family therapist. Yeah, It's you like, know? mom's a therapist. Like, yeah, she's yeah. gonna sit down and have a talk with me. <laughs> like, here we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I am gonna try to, like, make it very separate. Yeah. When they get older. When yeah. Get, when she gets older. Of course, she can, like, um, of course, she's going to be able to come to me and there's going to be advantages to that. But if I'm, I'm not going to go like perform therapeutic interventions <laughs> on her. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you ever see, see it being a negative? No. Um, I think with friendships, it's, it's not a negative, but it's actually, I wouldn't even say friendships. My, my friends don't like abuse it. You yeah. know, it's oh, actually I see that being a thing. Yeah. 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 My friends don't. It's more actually like like the acquaintances that will oh, try to say like, yeah, can, yeah. you know, they're trying to like get therapy. <laughs> That's going to be uh, $90. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. 30 minutes? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but I want to say that's a downside. I do have to kind of say like, hey, like, here's a person that might be able to help you with this. Yeah. Um, right, because you I can't, can't be, take, yeah, personal, anybody you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That that would be unethical. Um, and even if they're trying to like just talk to me, but it feels like it's becoming a therapy session, I do have to try to like draw the line, set a boundary. Yeah. But again, with my friends, it just feels natural to like just talk to them and yeah. Go I mean, deep. you should because yeah, yeah, we do as friends anyway. Right? Yeah, so exactly. It'd be the normal thing that you do. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, knowing what you know now, what is something you advise? You would advise your younger self. Wow. That 16-year-old girl. Or 15, because that was before you found someone that… Yeah. I think I would tell myself that, like, there, first of all, there are people that care, you know? And that, like, your circumstance today, again, we don't know how long it's going to last, but, like, there is something that's going to happen, some perspective, some event, some pers- it, something. That's going to just shift your life. I never in a million years would have thought I would be 
in the position that I am today, given the fact that I was a kid that just, I was like an angry kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to express myself. I just was angry and, you know, all the time. And now, you know, like I would consider myself a pretty regulated person, but I yeah. would have never seen that. Again, I don't know what shifted. I don't know at one, what point it just shifted for me, but there's just life events take its course and the natural flow of things will eventually happen. And you learn and grow and there is, there is hope, but, but be patient. You know, like it's not, I, I don't think it happened for me till I was like 23. I know. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. And you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and I don't even, because this is before even instant gratification was a thing. It's just yeah. like your brain wants it. And if it's not working, like I'm not working and something's wrong with me. And like the whole world is just like, fucked yeah exactly and then everyone around me or something I don't know it's just it's almost like a natural feeling I don't know maybe maybe I was an angry teenager too yeah I I would definitely tell myself that you're going to be more than what the people around you think you're going to be you know because and more than what I thought I would be but I think that's just the natural thing at 15 you have no concept none of what life's going to be like when you're 30. Yeah. You know, and what you're going to go through and experience and and if only I mean through. that's what we always say if only we knew what we knew now back yes, then, right? Exactly. <laughs> of course, but would you even listen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's good advice for you like today, like when you're stressing about something, there's going to be a time where I'm going to say about this if only I knew yeah. what I knew back then about today. Yeah. You know? But would we listen? That's like my rebuttal. Would, would I have listened as, yeah. a, as a 16-year-old? Yeah. Hell, hell no. Yeah, exactly. Hell no. And to tell me like it's going to happen in seven years, I'd be like, I'm not waiting that yeah, long. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know my mom was definitely there like warning me about everything and anything she could. Yeah. And I was that person that just did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I had to experience it on my own to be yeah. like, oh shit. Right. She was right. Yeah. Or they were right. Right. Or, or my mind was right. Like I, you, you know, just have to get yeah. to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So my one last final, final question. This is a long journey and I so appreciate you for it. Um, In the best way possible, how can we all uh, be a little bit more of a therapist at home um, Mm -hmm. to benefit those around us and ourselves? Yeah, that's a good question. Studying, you know, and, and, and it's not in terms of like reading a book, but like, Getting indulged in like, there's so much out there now on, even on TikTok and YouTube and stuff like that. No, there is. Yeah. yeah, Like follow these people that, I mean, I even learn a lot from these like psychologists and researchers and just people that are in this field and how to like deal with whatever it is that you want to get better at. Being a better spouse, being a better parent, being a better friend and making yourself listen to these things. Yeah. Right. Or being willing to like know that the way you might be operating, like there's probably there might be another way to consider. Because, again, I never would have. I, I do really think that I have an advantage of what I've learned about just parenting. Yeah. Than the way I've grown up. It's very different. So and I, I only would have gotten that. And it's not because I'm a therapist. It's like, yes, I got more of an advantage because I experience it and teach this all day. but it's because I physically learned it and like from somewhere. Yeah. You know? And you wouldn't be where you are today without that 
Yeah, no, start no, no. of learning. Yeah, I mean, I see stuff on Instagram all the time, like these like psychologists that I follow. I'm like, oh wow, that's a re-, like, and they're parenting tips. I'm like, that's a really good strategy. I'll yeah. use it. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't take that much time. Just open your mind to other ways of like responding to to conflict. Yeah, in general, and it's just a different perspective. So exactly why you find it interesting because it's maybe something you haven't thought of or yeah. never heard of. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I that's one of my biggest things, and I tell Aiden too. I'm, I tell him I never stop learning, and I, I think that's the most interesting thing about life. There's always something that we don't know. Yeah. So like, why not learn? Uncover it. Yeah. Yeah. Like unco- there's so like you said, like we said, like the brain, we're only using ten percent. Like, yeah. can you expand a little bit more on what what your unknown is? Yeah. I think about now, just like. I think about all these podcasts and episodes that I want to listen to and like books I want to read. I'm like, how do I fit this in my brain? Yeah, exactly. Like, I need more time in a day <laughs> so I can learn. Like, <laughs> right. Forget my career. I, I want to learn. <laughs> right, right, Like right. if I only I had this energy back in school, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, now it's because you're actually, you're doing something that intrigues you, right? Yes, the way yes. we learn in school is like just. Right. Math. History. like Science. Yeah. yeah. And then you go on to the next, like how, you know, whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, thank you. I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. I, I enjoyed know it. I'm going to hear um, so much just amazing feedback. Um, and that's just what happens with great information that you yeah. receive. And I thank you for that information and you're your time um, and your effort. Um, I know this was uh, something that you had to spend your time on. So I so appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And I hope all my listeners, um, you know, heard your question, heard the answer, and you can benefit in some way. I know there's something uh, that you can gain from this episode, even if it's one of the questions, one of the answers, you know, that's all that counts. Mm-hmm. You know, start start from there. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't expect, and I don't want you to expect that everything gets resolved in one day or one week or one month, or it is something that will eventually, like this mental health, um, is something that has an end date or you achieved it and now it's done with. Yeah. It's a constant practice every day, something that you just reflect on. And and it's not even to, I don't want you to look at it as like, oh man, it's work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could be doing something just so much simpler. Yeah, there are times where you really have to put in the work and it gets complicated, but the return is just, I've learned is just so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you can't go from A to Z. You have to literally go through the shit to get mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. Um, is what I have learned and what it people always tell me to. Um, you know, to get to it, you got to get through it. So um, I would love to hear your feedback. If there are any other questions that you know we haven't answered, uh, please let me know, and we will. Uh, definitely do our best to answer those questions. But I think we really did touch on everything and a lot. But um, I appreciate you always being there. If you haven't already, uh, rate the episode on or the podcast, Mental Pleasure, on whatever platform that you listen to us on. Um, Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Oh, you're talking to them. I'm talking to both. (laughs) I'm talking to everyone because it takes time. It takes a tribe. It takes work and effort and true, uh, genuine interest and passion. Without that, I mean, we wouldn't be here to this day. So um, I hope you all have a great week. Thank you again and signing out until next Tuesday.